Good afternoon. It's 4.30 and you're listening to KDNK, and it's time for Valley Voices. I'm Amy Haddon Marsh, your host, and my guest today is Aaron Taylor, director of the Way of Compassion Foundation and the Way of Compassion Bicycle Project over at the Third Street Center here in Carbondale. Welcome, Aaron Taylor. Such a pleasure to be here, Amy. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm a work in progress. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great to have you back on the show again, as Thank usual. You, Aaron and I ran into each other, not literally, at the grocery store yeah. a couple of weeks ago, and um took me a minute to recognize him in the mask. It's this mask thing has, <laughs> you know, I hope I don't lose any friends because I'm like, huh, who's that? <laughs> I felt like it, we did really well for th- not having partial partial face identification. I think so, and not having seen one another yeah. for a while. You I know, know, well, I want to talk about, eventually, during our half hour here together, Erin, I want to talk about an event coming up this weekend to benefit the fourth, fourth annual Compassion Film Fest. Can you believe it? Four years. I this can't. is the fourth year. <laughs> I can't believe it, but we're so excited that it is happening, that yeah. we're still moving forward, yeah. Yeah, what an amazing thing. Just a little self-disclosure, I was involved in the first one, uh, helping mm-hmm. with uh, public public relations, I guess, um, and uh, that was just a, a fabulous event, I thought, and, um, you know, we got a lot of good feedback, and then... You know, it was like, well, gee, you know, are we going to keep doing this? Is this, I remember in those discussions, it was like, do you think this will continue? Are we going to have more than one? And then, boom, here we are at the fourth annual Compassion Film Fest that's coming up in August. And, Mm -hmm. um, but before we talk about that, how are things going at the Bike Project and at the Way of Compassion Center? Yeah, thanks for asking. The overall, we're doing really well, you know, as, as everyone's been making changes in their own uh, operations, we've been able to do the same. Many of our programs through the foundation are programs uh, focused on creating resources and opportunities for people to engage in more compassion in their life. And so those come oftentimes as workshops and, and we've moved all of that on onto different online communities and had good success with that. You know, there's a lot of people who are, uh, struggling from the feelings of isolation and also the uh, recognition of financial hardships. Uh, so there's a lot of people seeking answers to these deeper questions right now, and we're able to, uh, since we're all connected globally through these amazing platforms online, that we've been able to tap into that and move a lot of our programming online. And the film festival being one of those, we we did it all online last year. Um, the bike project in particular, we had to shift our momentum. So traditionally, we've been open to the public uh, and very much involved with hands-on learning. And so our main focus was really three days, four days a week, depending on uh, the amount of volunteers we had. We would open up and have people come in to work on their own bikes, use our donated inventory uh, to learn about doing repairs and to also maintain things at a, a very kind of 
minimal cost for those commuter bikes and those folks who don't have the means necessarily to keep their their vehicles running uh, through other shops. And so we have shifted from that really in-person kind of hands-on learning, and we've gone more to a traditional bike kind of building uh, sales and service. So there's only myself and a few select volunteers that are really coming into the shop right now, uh, building bikes, getting them ready for sale, and doing some service work for folks. That has been keeping us very busy. And last year, in particular, the bike industry really boomed quite um, yeah. quite big, actually. Yeah. And so because of the, the big bike boom, we had we had so much work. I think we probably were able to do about one-third of what was requested of us, just looking wow. back at the overall summer. So there was so much work uh, to be had. Um, and which brings up an interesting point is one of the the things in the bike industry that we're interested in moving forward with is a potential uh, program called Project Bike Tech, which is going to have the potential to install bike shop and learning environment for uh, students in our local high schools. And so we've been working with the Roaring Fork School District to really see about bringing a program like that here because one of the main um, challenging positions that the industry finds itself in is that there's not enough mechanics to go around to do the work when the flow really happens. And so you'll take your bike into a shop and there'll be a six-week turnaround time. Wow, six weeks? And that's because there can be, absolutely, six-week turnaround time. That's what happened this last summer, not not for us, but in other shops that do much heavier workload. Um, And so with the, uh, the challenges of having qualified mechanics around uh, this program could potentially create a little feeder for for more efficiency in the industry. And so it's something of interest that's just kind of now uh, coming to the surface, and we're really excited to see if it might be able to happen to give uh, some students a different opportunity for the potentials of working into an industry in this way. And it's also been found that these students who do sign up for a one-year or two-year bicycle certification program are often students that maybe are kind of on the fringe sometimes and and almost on their way out of the academic world, maybe not going to finish high school. And this is a program that actually uh, creates an enthusiasm and a commitment for them to actually stay in school and they uh, to finish their academics as well. Yeah, there's been a push to return to that sort of uh, curriculum, sort of a non-traditional um hands-on, like bike mechanics, car mechanics, that sort of thing. And vocational? Vocational, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's mm-hmm. been a, um, a sort of a, uh, a renaissance, I think, of vocational aspects of um, high school. I think it's great. Yeah. What's the next step for that? Uh, currently, we're in conversation with Bridges High School and Roaring Fork High School to mm-hmm. just kind of suss out some opportunities. There has been a foundation that has stepped forward um, and so to kind of do an upfront kind of push on the, the cost. Now, if anyone out there was interested in being a part of the effort there, they can contact me as well, because this is really, we've been kind of in meetings uh, gently for about four years looking at this, and it's starting to reach a real uh, momentum in particular because there's been a kind of a timeline put on this now. So uh, there is going to be the need for additional funding to to try to find out how to fund a teacher position 
Um, you know, of course, there's within the school district those options, but there has to be enough kind of momentum from students uh, to sign up for the class to then create those. Uh, I think they call them FTEs or something within right. the, the full time teacher. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that that is the ultimate is to get to that. But there needs to be some stepping stones along the way. And so there are some hurdles and the other ones are more internal in the school district to just find out uh, space and, and, you know, logistics and those sorts of things. So slowly working through it, but it's an excitement within the overall, uh, from my perspective, within the bicycle industry for one, but also in our local schools and providing uh, opportunity for kind of an interesting educational component for students. So are you, in terms of just the regular way of Compassion Bicycle Project, what do you think you'll be doing this spring and summer as some of these COVID restrictions lift? I mean, Garfield County moves into the blue level tomorrow at 6 a.m. We are going to plan on the first public kind of invitations we'll, we'll be putting out there for when we're able to move our bicycle stands outside. So we feel comfortable with doing more outside work than within the shop. We, we can generally have, on a busy day, we might have 10 to 15 people in our shop, uh, historically speaking, and that would be within about, you know, 800 or 700 square foot. So that we've got right. kind of a small space. Yeah. So what we would be doing is just moving stands outside to allow for more space and open air so as soon as weather permits, probably by April, I would imagine, we'll start offering some ability for people to come by and work on their own machines and mm-hmm. and uh, be helping in that way, trying to keep the tools from being in the grass and getting run over by the lawnmowers. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure happens a lot. Oh, much to the to chagrin of the lawnmower guy. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. You know, you mentioned uh, earlier that um, during the pandemic, people have been asking some deeper questions. And, and one of my questions to you is, I, are people like flocking to learn more about how to become a compassionate human being during this pandemic time? What we're noticing is that, you know, with the challenges that are there. So again, we're, we're all experiencing kind of from my perspective, it's an unprecedented type of event. So it's a, it provides all sorts of different challenges in one's life. And with those things, it become, there, there can be a lot of hardships. So we know the, no, the number of ways that people are um, really being affected. And, you know, with isolation and not being able to gather with friends and family, that can be very difficult for folks. Um, and then also financially, of course, it's been very difficult. And then, you know, people are dying. You know, people are dying out there. Loved ones are being lost. And so there's people who are finding themselves in really these uh, situations of, of grief and loss. And so when, uh, when we find ourselves in those places, oftentimes that's when we start to ask the questions of there's, there's got to be something, right. you know, more. There's got to be something different because this pain I'm feeling right now is too much for me. You know, it's too much for me. I want, I want to be relieved of that. And so with that, we, we can turn to these uh, traditions or um, these, you know, whether historical or whether kind of cultivated in a modern day sense, these pathways that lead to a different way of living and a different way of cultivating a well-being that's coming from within versus coming from uh, those conditions in which we find ourselves. Right. Because we, what's been recognized is that we can't control that, you know, the conditions outside of ourselves 
we can't really control that. So the pandemic arising, or let's say like this morning, the house I live in having a potential water pipe burst, you know, these things happen. And when they do, it's a real recognition of um, how much insofar insofar as we've put our happiness in reliance upon whatever we've just lost Mm -hmm. or whatever's just changed, then we start to ask the question that there has to be a way uh, because I sir, I simply can't um, experience this pain any longer. It's too much, you know. And so then the question comes: How do I find a way? And right. and you know what's been taught in many different traditions over you know the ages, and then in our modern day models is that there's a way to cultivate a happiness that can persist through even challenging events, and to feel things like uh, difficulty and sadness and loss and grief. That's natural. That's that's okay. But but are we going to get stuck there or can we move out of it? Because so many people get stuck there and it, it can be uh, such a difficult thing. And so to be able to help people to move through these things in a graceful way and compassion, this idea of wanting to remove suffering and taking the actions to do so is actually a direct pathway for us to flourish ourselves in a way of cultivating a genuine happiness that comes from within. Because as we take our, you know, as we move ourselves outside of ourselves to helping others, we can actually uh, start to relieve our own suffering that is based on upon me and mine. You know, so then I start to exactly. vision out further and say, okay, well, what about we and ours? Even just recognizing that there's other people out there who are suffering in the same ways, and and can we start to practice that mind state, which can help alleviate our own, is to recognize we're part of something bigger that there's other people out there who are suffering and, and connecting with them and, and moving through this together. You know, it starts with um, recognizing what, and I've always called it the external locus of control versus mm-hmm. the internal locus of control. Thank and you. that's sort of what you're saying. When a person is letting uh, external people, places, things, um, events, control whether they're happy or sad or angry versus, you know, allowing those events to happen, but being able to manage your responses to those people, places, things, or events. And um, that is so key. And especially right now, I'm sure that you're talking to a lot of people um, because, you know, there's this big thing, this external event called the coronavirus pandemic that is completely out of our control. And the only thing that we can do is to um, manage our own behavior and manage our own responses, um, in my opinion, in order to deal with that. I mean, I was reading something. Well, before I go on, I'd like to remind listeners that you're listening to Valley Voices. I'm Amy Haddon Marsh, and my guest today is Aaron Taylor, uh, director of the Way of Compassion Foundation and the Way of Compassion Bicycle Project over at the Third Street Center here in Carbondale. Uh, It is 446, and this is KDNK. But, you know, uh, in moving sort of into the event for this weekend, um, you know, I was reading a little bit of the article that His Holiness the Dalai Lama wrote last April for Time magazine. He talks about a compassionate or constructive act is observing social distancing, wearing a mask, you know, it doesn't even have to be volunteering at a hospital, you know, it, or taking meals to somebody if that's not something that a person can do, um, you know, to put a mask on, stay six feet away, 
practice social distancing. That's an act of mm-hmm. compassion and an action that actually helps other people. I thought that was wonderful. You are featuring a film. So this film is actually going to be on Saturday. You know, though there is a schedule here, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily restrictive. So okay. I'll first go through the schedule just as we would kind of envision it. And then to note that it is basically available all this weekend so that people should just oh. know that the okay. film is essentially available all this weekend. And so we have organized it. Uh, the Compassion Film Festival, one of our, our main, it's our main fundraiser for the foundation that we host. And this is our first year doing quarterly events. So as you mentioned before, at the beginning of this interview, we do have our main festival, which is a three-day event traditionally, and that's in August. But we have, with the intention of trying to draw the thread of compassion and compassionate actions throughout the year, are doing quarterly events. And this is our second one. Uh, And so we'll be hosting a film screening, a question and answer session with the director of the film, and then a a workshop or a debrief of the film, essentially. And so the film we are screening will begin at 9 a.m. So it's a morning event. So you can kind of think about this like a half day event, almost like going to a retreat. So you'd be going to a short half day retreat. And the reason we've organized it like this is because of the fact that our live question and answer with the director, her name is Dawn Engel. She's going to be in Spain. And in order to have it be at some reasonable hour for her, we needed to do uh, a shift into a kind of a morning uh, live question and answer. Right. So the film is called The Dalai Lama Scientist. It's based on the Mind and Life conferences that have happened over a number of decades. Uh, the interest of the Dalai Lama in, in coming together with the scientists who are on the very cutting edge of these different disciplines. And so the idea behind this is His Holiness has always been a very, um, he's been fascinated with different kind of mechanical objects and how things work since he's been a young boy. And through this investigative inquiry, which is very common for uh, in this case, the Buddhist path that His Holiness uh, practices and teaches within, that um, this very investigative nature of his discipline has also cultivated a curiosity and investigative nature about uh, reality through these lenses of science. So he wanted to bring the, the, the tradition that he's representing, Tibetan Buddhism, and the kind of cutting edge of science together. And these Mind and Life conferences started to happen over you know, I think over 30 years ago, and they've continued to this day. So this film captures some really wonderful events from all of these different uh, discussions that were had over the years. And so we'll see in this film that um, think the fields of cosmology, quantum physics, cognitive sciences and psychology, neuroscience and molecular biology and genetics are all kind of coming in on their very cutting edge research that they're doing and theoretical um, kind of the what they're positing theoretically as well and then they come into unison with his holiness and the different buddhist sciences of mind as well as the philosophies and trajectories of those different practitioners in those fields and in the field of buddhism and this coming together is is the story that's told through this film uh it's it's a really beautiful kind of insight into his holiness in general just who he is and how he kind of 
has this wonderful ability to bring people together. And then this beautiful kind of intersection of sciences, the hard sciences, and then Buddha's science of mind, and how the two are influencing each other. So we're seeing that the hard sciences are starting to uh, be, you know, independence upon these discussions have really started to alter the way that they're investigating things. You know, and one of those things was that cognitive sciences and psychology were really looking at um, what are the factors and the mechanics behind uh, depression and these different types of uh, states that are are challenging for people? And they were focusing a lot of their efforts there. And His Holiness said, well, why don't you, why, while you're doing that, that's valuable because the intention is to try to heal those things. But why don't you also investigate things like compassion and how do you cultivate that? Because they're not, they weren't looking there. And so then, you know, from that, we can see how science actually gains a leg up into uh, the sciences that are being done, the studies that are being done, how are they improving humanity? You know, and they, they are. And so His Holiness is helping in that direction. And then we also see how the sciences are influencing the Buddhist tradition and how over a number of years there's been this kind of coming together. And now part of the monastic uh, uh, curriculum is that uh, the monastics and the nuns take uh, modern sciences. And so they're taking these these uh, levels of science through their course of monastic training, and it's a requirement. And so there's this coming together and mutual benefit in both of these different kind of seemingly different places and how the perceptions of these different individuals who are who are in these discussions, how they've been influenced, and some really beautiful stories in there, you know, few times brought me to tears for sure. So it's a beautiful story. You know, in the Time Magazine article that I was talking about, His Holiness uh, talks about how it's important to pray for people. You know, he talks about uh, when he learned of the coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan. You know, he said he was praying for his brothers and sisters in China and everywhere. And then he says, but it will take more than prayer to get through this pandemic. And he talks about um, combining action with empirical science. And um, I thought, you know, that's, it's really, it's really neat that he's um, encouraging people to, yes, pray, but also take action and pay attention to science. You know, we only have a couple of minutes left. I told you this half hour would go fast. This film uh, will be available all weekend, but the the actual event, if people want to participate in the Q&A with the director and maybe a discussion of the film, begins at 9 a.m. on Saturday. Correct. So okay. 9 a.m. is the film screening on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And the then the live question and answer with the director, Don Engel, who who's an amazing, well-spoken woman and uh, has been nominated, just a side note, she's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize 16 oh. times. Yeah, it's amazing. And she works with a, an organization called the Peace Jam Foundation. Oh. And so that will be at 11 a.m., mm-hmm. so following the film. And then at 1 p.m., and this is all mountain time, mm-hmm. just uh, to put it out there, but uh, there'll be a workshop and a debrief of the film with John Bruna, and that will be at 1 p.m. So mm-hmm. that'll be about an hour-and-a-half workshop to take this film, which does have a lot of kind of high-level thinking, so mm-hmm. hard to capture mm-hmm. all of it when viewing the film. A lot of, you know, mm-hmm. the scientists are, there's some jargon in there and mm-hmm. some, 
some challenges. So what John's aspiring to do is to really host the discussion, but also to bring it back to our own lives um, on how to implement these things and what is what what is meaningful and and to kind of mm, in a way translate a little bit of what might be useful and important. And from his own experience, right. he. He was a, a monastic at, right. at one point as well. Well, so. Aaron Taylor, we are out of time. What is the um, website that people can get more information? They go to CompassionFest.world. CompassionFest.world. Well, thank you very much, Aaron yep. Taylor. It's been wonderful to have you on the show, but our time is up. So take care. Always and a pleasure. Thanks again.